you know, 2015, I had 11 rentals. And in 2016-17, I started to get involved with apartment complexes, and the unit count just kind of exponentially went up. And just realized, like, wow, if I just did this a handful of more times, I'll be able to quit my day job. The people who own really big houses as primary residents, those are people that kind of struggle. Which, hint, hint, it's not a good financial decision. That's why. I mean, that's why it screws up your debt service coverage ratio. Welcome to the Be Better broadcast, where we bring you tips and strategies and techniques, as well as inspirational stories to help you to live an extraordinary life and to achieve self mastery. And as you know, on this show, we talk about the five key areas of life. We talk about your emotions, your physical body, your relationships, your spirituality. And today, specifically, we're going to be talking about your finances. Because we talk a lot about financial mastery, but it's not all about how much money you make. It's about how much money you keep. And it's about what you do with that money to create generational wealth, to acquire assets so that you can continue building your wealth and building your net worth. And we haven't talked about this a ton in the broadcast. And the most traditional ways of investing that we normally hear about from people like Dave Ramsey and Susie Orman and a bunch of other gurus out there in the space is invest your money in the stock market, invest your money in Roth IRAs, invest your money in all these different areas that our guest today calls fake money. And today we're going to be talking specifically about how you can create passive income using real estate as your medium and your vehicle. And our guest today is Lane Kawaoka. And for those who don't know Lane, he is currently the owner of more than 4,500 units across the United States. He lives in Hawaii and he recently quit his day job as a professional engineer with an MS in civil engineering and construction management, as well as a BS in industrial engineering. Lane partners with investors who wants to build their portfolio, but are too busy to mess with tenants, toilets, and termites by curating opportunities in his Huey Deal Pipeline Club, where his investors have personal access to him and know that Lane is personally putting his own money on the line as well. Lane reverse engineers the wealth building strategies that the rich use to the middle class via the top 50 investing podcast, simplepassivecashflow.com. Lane's mission is to help hardworking professionals get out of the rat race one free strategy call at a time. Lane, it's a pleasure to have you here, my friend. Thanks for making the time. Hey, thanks, Brandon. Thanks for having me. Hello, everybody. Now, a couple of years ago, you said that your goal was to be earning $10,000 a month passively from your real estate. And at that time, you were currently working as a civil engineer, correct? That's correct. That's correct. A lot of, you know, a lot of people in our sphere, you, know, you want to replace your salary or create passive streams of income. And it's slow in the beginning, but that $10,000 a month is kind of a nice threshold. A lot of people start to try and shoot out and achieve. I think it's important to say too, at that time, just two years ago, you were about halfway to your goal. Now we're talking to you in 2021 after a year that was very difficult for a lot of people. And you were able to double your income at that point. I'm assuming you reached your $10,000 passive income goal because you officially quit your day job, my friend. That, that's yeah. huge. So yeah, what, what, did that, what did that look like for you, that transition? Yeah, I mean, it's just a matter of building up passive cash flow. I mean, we're going to kind of talk about the beginning and you know, 2015, I had 11 rentals. And in 2016, 17, I started to get involved in apartment complexes and the unit count just kind of exponentially went up. 2020 was a great year for us. A lot less competition from other competing buyers. Um, 
you know, it was a, it was a great year. Right. Um, and, you know, I think with this real estate investing thing, it grows very, uh, you know, like it kind of grows like a hockey stick, right? Um, you know, it just starts off slow. It's not a get rich quick thing, but it's a get rich surely thing that kind of builds up a lot, a lot of steam at the end and it kind of takes a mind of its own. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's very impressive that you're a young guy doing this, but it's also very possible for somebody in their 40s, their 50s, their 60s to get started in this game of real estate, especially as someone who in their mid-20s started in this game. You said that you started real estate and and going all in on that in 2009. Was that after you graduated? Tell me a little bit about the beginning for you and what got you interested in real estate in the first place. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of started on this linear path. A lot of you know working professionals do brought up in a family where you're taught to be really frugal with your money you save it you you kind of go to school you study hard you get a good job um, i eventually became an engineer and then you know, just kind of follow this linear path like buy a house to live in which i don't necessarily believe is the greatest of ideas um and then you work you invest in the 401k which wealthy people don't do that and you retire maybe in 40, 50, 60 years with, you know, a million dollars or a couple of million dollars. Um, all in that time, I mean, I, I bought that house to live in shortly after college. It took me a couple of years to save up for that. And then I started to rent it out because as a young guy working on the road for his job, I was never home. So I just decided to rent it out. Um, realized like this got the taste of this passive cash flow thing, right? Where the rents exceeded the mortgage and then the, the repairs, maintenance, property management fees, you know, all expenses, right? Not just the mortgage. And just realize like, wow, if I could just did this a handful of more times, I'll be able to quit my day job that I didn't really like at the time. And that took you about 10 years to do, to, to finally quit your day job through the game of real estate. Right, right. I mean, I, you know, kind of before we, kind of move forward. I think real estate, you know, we get, we, we kind of get clumped in with all these house flipping shows and people more active in real estate, you know, like wholesaling, flipping. Um, I don't do any of that type of stuff. To me, that's for lower net worth guys or guys who want to make this into an active job. But you know, the, most of my clients are high net worth, uh, high paid working professionals. Their highest best use is at their job or they're successful business entrepreneurs, right? Where they're kicking butt at their business. That's where their highest and best use for time is. So they invest passively on the side in real estate. Yes. And I feel that a lot of people listening too are in their mid-20s like you. A lot of the people listening, they've got the income, right? They're earning sixty dollars to $100,000 a year at a job. They might even be smart with their money and they've saved $10,000, $20,000, $30,000. I know some people who've got $40,000 saved. They don't know what to do with it. And I talk to a lot of people who they know that real estate's an avenue they want to go down, but there's this, this fear of, okay, well, if I get into real estate, then I'm going to have another full-time job, another, another full-time job of talking with tenants, filling the homes. What if they leave the homes and I got to find new people? So at this time when you were on the road traveling for your job, you renting out your home, what were some of the fears that you had at that? Like, What, what were the emotions like for you when you found the tenant to, to move into your home and then the emotions of finding more properties? Tell me more about that time in your life and that journey. Yeah, I mean, uncertainty, right? When you get started, but that quickly subsided is once you find a professional property manager to work with that you find through a referral not just poking around on the internet, 
And so, you know, a lot of this is predicated on personal relationships. You build with other peer passive investors to figure out, well, who do you want to work with? Who do you want to stay away from as your professionals? And eventually as, you know, who do you want to invest with as oper- deal operators too in the future? Um, you know, like a property manager kind of does all your dirty work for you. They fill the property, they, you know, lease it up, they do all the paperwork for you, they fix it, um, they find the vendors to fix it when it, something breaks, they interact with the tenant. Really, there's nothing really for you to do as the investor, but to approve and, you know, keep track of your books. Um, and I didn't know this going in, but I, you know, I quickly learned that, you know, it's not, not much to this thing, right? And you know, again, I think we do it a little bit differently than most investors. Most investors, they try and do it all themselves to save money because their deals don't work. The numbers don't work. So they have, they have to like cheap, go cheapo style and not have a property manager and do it all themselves. And that's when things get difficult, right? I always tell my guys, be an investor, not a landlord, right? Hire a property management company so you can scale. How soon did you hire a property manager yourself? Day one. I mean, I... I know I'm not dumb enough to do it on my own, right? Like I'm the guy who doesn't like just hire somebody to fix something at my house. I don't screw around with it and wait three to six months for the thing to like not get done. Yeah, absolutely. And and the, your average property manager, the one that you dealt with at that time, what what were you paying them? Was it ten percent of? Yeah, you usually. Would... I mean, that's the industry standard. Is that they take ten percent of your monthly rents, and they'll usually take. You know, when you when you lease up the property, the property goes vacant. They might take half or the full month's rent. So those are the main avenues that they generate their income off their services rendered. Gotcha. And what did your next investment look like? So the first one was your own home. Tell me about the next one because I yeah, feel like first- it's like the first five to ten that you know people have a, a hesitancy towards, right? So what did the next one look like for you? Yeah, the, the first one was just a. It wasn't a great rental. I mean, and the first, next one wasn't that, was a little bit better. I started to realize that sophisticated investors, they don't buy luxury properties on the high end, right? We call them A-class properties. They go to more like working class communities, maybe not in the best school districts, maybe in a little bit more grungier areas, but definitely we don't want to go into the D or F-class kind of locations. So the next property was a duplex more in that B-plus type area. Um, but overall, you know, I was still buying in Seattle, Washington what we call a primary market. We don't invest in primary markets. We go to more secondary and tertiary markets where there's cash flow. And I think this is a mistake that uh, most investors make. They invest going after cash flow. They'll invest in sexy areas like Seattle, Northern California, pretty much all of California. We don't invest in Um, Hawaii, Boston, New York, Miami. You're not going to find the rent-to-value ratios to be able to cash flow. The rent-to-value Evaluation is super important because this kind of is a quick and dirty way to make sure you're going to cash flow on a monthly basis. So you take the monthly rents divided by the purchase price, and that's how you get the rent to value ratio. So, for example, a lot of places will try and target are like $100,000 or less that rents for $1,000 or more, therefore, like 1%, right? $100,000 divided by 100 grand. Um, a lot of places in California, you'd be lucky to buy a place in the ghetto for 400 grand. That rents for $2,000 a month. That would be half a percent. That's not going to work. You know, I think it's really important to note that you didn't have everything figured out when you first started, right? You, you knew about the property manager, but you were buying uh, real estate in primary markets and you then realized that's not the best thing for you to do. You came out with this rule of thumb. 
How long did it take you to figure out, okay, I got to stop buying properties in these primary markets because they're not cash flowing the way that I want them to. How long did it take for you to realize that? Yeah, maybe like a few years, you know, I was kind of going to buy my next property and I was like, hmm, these numbers are kind of, you know, I'm kind of losing money every month, right? And, you know, I think that's, you know, any anybody who is kind of rolls with the punches, kind of got that stoic philosophy, you know, the obstacle is the way, it, you know, when things don't go your way, you kind of look at it. It's like, well, why? There's there's something pushing me towards where I probably should go. Um, numbers weren't working in Seattle, Washington. Um, I didn't know at the time, right? I didn't know any of this type of stuff. I just knew what, you know, mainstream investing would, would be, you know, buy low, so how like good areas, location, 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 which isn't always the case. Um, you know, then I started to look in other places like Birmingham, Atlanta, Indianapolis, started buying there where, you know, I would, I would get the rent to value ratios that were necessary to cash flow. Um, and then, you know, another thing is, you know, once you get the rent to value ratio, you know, that's just a quick and dirty, you know, way that you can kind of vet properties that, you know, we talk about our podcast a lot because it's simple, right? You guys driving right now, can make that quick calculation, at least know, yeah, I should invest in Seattle or, or Hawaii. Um, but then, you know, you need to bust out the analyzer. Um, if people want to grab my free analyzer, you can go to my website, simplepassivecashflow.com slash analyzer. That'll break down like your rents, your your maintenance repairs, your CapEx budget, your property management, um, your vacancy. Um, and then kind of you'll, you'll kind of sharpen the pencil, make sure your cash flow from there. But, you know, that it, a lot of this is predicated on numbers, right? And we are cash flow investors. We're not gamble on appreciation investors and there's you know investors are kind of two sides of this epic battle right like i frankly don't care i'm a cash flow investor i want to invest in streams of income that is my investment philosophy so at good times or bad i cash flow i don't care if there's a recession or something happening where the prices go down to me i'm buying passive streams of income so i can take that money and buy more passive streams of income Absolutely. Now, those people who do live in a primary market and they hear from people, you know, you want to buy properties near you so that you can visit them, you can do what you need to do. A lot of people might hear that and they might think, oh, well, you know, this might not be the game for me because of where I currently live. I don't want to move. Like, I live in New York. I don't live in the city. I live in like the rural areas of upstate New York. But what would you recommend to people who do live in a primary market when it comes to buying their first few deals? The rule is live where you want, where where you live is probably a cool place to live, but invest where the numbers make sense. To, I mean, it's very typical. People who live in high-priced areas make a lot of money. But so parlay your 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 location and like make a lot of money there, but invest in another place where the numbers actually make sense. And another reason why we stay away from, you know, New York, LA, like there's just too much dumb money there pushing the price of the properties up and up and up. Um, we, w- we don't want to be part of that competition. How would you recommend a new investor research different areas that would make sense? Like where would you recommend they even start and how can they make a deal somewhere that they, they've never been to, right? Would you recommend they go there? Like what, what, does, what does that process look like? Yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not rocket science. You're trying to find a location that is typically a red state Right, because you want the landlord laws on your side. You want to be an area where the population is growing and a area where there is good economic growth. Now we look at rent increases per year in apartment uh, units as kind of a good 
key metric to, that kind of distills both of those population and economic growth into like demand in a way. So that's what we do. But, you know, now you're looking at, you know, a bunch of markets. I would cut out all the markets that are under quarter million, half a million population. They're too small. And then, you know, kind of go from there. So, you know, your list probably looks like Birmingham, Atlanta, Indianapolis, Kansas City, Memphis, Little Rock, Jacksonville, um, or a smaller place like Huntsville, Alabama. Um, and, and I think this is where you kind of cross over and you need to build relationships with other peer passive investors and kind of get into ethos. You know, this is, this is very common knowledge. What are the good emerging markets to invest in? What's up, Be Better family? It's Brandon Eastman here. And as a thank you for tuning in to the Be Better broadcast, I want to give you a very special gift. For a limited time, you can get a free digital copy of my book titled Be Extraordinary, Your Guide to Self-Mastery. This book is packed with insights and actionable steps that will help you to unlock your fullest potential in the five key areas of your life. But that's not all. Along with the book, I also want to give you the audiobook version absolutely free. Imagine having the power to transform your life right at your fingertips and in your ears anytime, anywhere. Go grab your copy at BeBetterIndustries.com slash book. You'll also find the link in the episode show notes. Go and grab your copy and join me in making a positive impact on the world. Now back to the show. Now, when you talk to new investors and they want to get started with this game, a lot of people hear, you know, the strategies of buy a duplex, live in one side. I've heard you say, well, why would you want to do that? I don't want to live next to the tenant that I'm renting to. And you talk a lot about, you know, listen, when you're getting into this game, you should already have money saved up. If you don't have money saved up, then you should learn how to become smart with money before you invest. Would you recommend that people start with a single family home? Would you recommend they start with apartments? What have you found is the most efficient strategy in today's world? Yeah, it depends where you are financially, right? I mean, I think you started at the top citing those two uh, big players, the CZ Ormans and the Dave Ramseys of the world. And I think they're good people, right? But they, their advice goes out to the masses and the masses really suck at managing their money. Um, and maybe partially they don't make that much money and maybe that's a little bit out of their control, right? They didn't go to college or whatnot. Um, but whatever reason it, it is, you know, most people like are, you know, spend more money than they make, right? Um, if that's your ca- if that's the case, and I would say that's 90% of America, you know, you need to work on your just basic personal finance or we'll make more money. Um, I'm not a huge fan of college, but you know, that's what college does. Typically get your higher paid job. Most of my clients are, you know, high paid professionals making six figures um, or they have a higher net worth. So for those people, you know, it's a, it's a paradigm shift, right? The different advice goes out to those people. Like, for example, buying a house to live in, I think it's a bad idea. It doesn't make any sense, right? You, take that down payment and go buy four or five houses where your four or five tenants are paying down your mortgage. But, you know, for most people out there in America, they're really bad with their money. They need a forced piggy bank and that's what buying houses. But if you're one of those people that makes, you know, 70, 80 grand at least, and 
putting a boatload of money in your 401k, you know, don't listen to the Susie Ormans and the Dave Ramsey of the world. Don't buy a house to live in. Instead, invest in real estate. Now, you know, the people that come into my, my group, um, my tribe, you know, they, they kind of fall into two caps. If they're under a quarter million dollars, half a million dollars net worth, probably want them to go buy a rental property to kind of get some rentals to build that cash flow up and get that net worth higher. But, you know, certainly for accredited investors, I mean, owning rental properties are, is kind of a waste of time. Um, that said, again, if you're under a half a million dollars net worth, go buy a rental property. Cover your, cover your ears right now. Don't listen to what I'm saying. You, you'll maybe, you'll probably get there one of these days. But, you know, for a lot of accredited investors, you know, buying rental properties is kind of a pain in the butt. Um, I, I hit that point in 2015 when I had 11 of these rental properties. I had maybe at a few hundred dollars of cash flow per property after paying all expenses, capex. Um, you know, that was $3,000 a month. Not bad, right? I'm not going to complain about that, but I don't know what American family can survive off $3,000 a month. And just to give a little bit of insight of what's it like to manage 11 rentals, I had maybe an eviction or two every year, some kind of big catastrophe that happened every quarter, like a tree fall over the house or a big plumbing repair or something like that. Um, which is fine because the property manager takes care of all that. But, you know, to get to that magical $10,000 a month number, I need 30 of these houses. So multiply that exception rate by three. Now eviction every other month, kind of big issue that happens every two or three weeks. It's just you quickly see that it becomes unscalable. And that's where these larger deals, syndications and private placements where passive higher net worth investors partake in are kind of the place that people generally gravitate towards after they hit a certain threshold. Got it. Yeah, that's a pretty pretty awesome explanation. Now, you are a buy and hold kind of guy. You don't rely on appreciation. You, you buy something, you hold it for a long time. What is your opinion on lease options? And would you ever dive into that world or recommend that new investors that's, dive that's into that That's broke world? people's stuff. That's tricks and games, right? There's a lot of strategies out there where you can buy something with no money. We don't do that. We save up our 20% down payment. And that's 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 what we do. You know, tricks are for games or guys with lower net worth. We don't do any of that stuff. Gotcha. Um, I mean, it's that, that's the thing, right? To invest in real estate, you need money. If you don't have money, then you got to rely on all these other tactics that take up time, most importantly. Good luck going and finding a uh, lease option property. I don't know how to do them. I've never done them before. Um, it's, just, it's, it's just not a scalable way of investing. A- again, it comes down to your highest and best use. If you have a successful business, focus your time because you're going to get the highest ROI in there. Right? We're all trading our time for dollars in the beginning. And you have to figure out where you're getting your highest trade value from right yeah you could save a lot of money doing a lease option or flipping a house you're also taking a lot of risk too that's kind of hard to quantify but just from a a time perspective you got to ask yourself a question is were you better off at your day job for a lot of my clients that you know get paid multiple six figures it's a no-brainer you know why waste your time competing with a bunch of people who don't have more who don't have money who are more hungrier in a place where there's less com- more competition or keep, you know, just do another surgery on the weekend, you know, make your money that way. So I think it's a question everybody has to ask. Yeah, no, I definitely understand that. We talk a lot about inspirations and 
people who have helped to mold you in the way that you you started like you obviously followed specific people who inspired you to go down this path who were some of your inspirations when you were younger and even to this day uh not really i mean my parents didn't know anything about rental real estate they told me don't buy don't don't have people live in your house and screw it up so much they knew right um i i didn't really have anybody to follow i mean I just kind of follow the numbers, you know, I'm no dummy. I can see that I'm making 20, 30% returns on a, you know, simple rental property. And I'm like, well, why am I only making eight to 10% in my 401k that goes up and down like a roller coaster? Like, I'm just going to do this thing that makes me more money. And that's, that is safer at the end of the day. Um, and just keep doing that. I think eventually I did find people, the model, right. The higher net worth accredited investors as I started to join different masterminds started to see the what the wealthy started to do, but there were nobody in particular, right? I just kind of picked up best practices here and there from people who probably forget where they came from at this point. When you started off and you were working a full-time job for the 10 years before you were able to be self-sufficient with your passive income from real estate, how did you manage your time between working a full-time job, finding the deals, executing on the deals, what how did you structure your day in a way that allowed that to happen yeah i mean the deals that i were buy weren't weren't special deals they were just off the retail market off the mls i mean it doesn't take much time to do that i'm not finding diamonds in the rough right like i knew my time was better spent at my day job getting good performance reviews than screwing around trying to find you know these these diamond in the rough properties so it didn't take that much time um, what took time was to like, kind of learn it, right? And get enough confidence to kind of move forward. That's the stuff that took time. But once I kind of developed a, a procedure, it was simple. Um, but in the beginning, you know, I, I didn't have that much time. I worked, I worked in a private company. Um, granted, didn't have kids or any kind of those types of responsibilities. And you know, I think over time, as my portfolio grew, I kind of gravitated towards more easier jobs, left private.